Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life. Conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is discerning the spirits. How do we figure out the way forward by paying attention to our souls and to the movements of the spirit within us? I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Father Robin Koenig, SJ, which who I hope I've pronounced his name correctly there, is a member of the Faber Jesuit community and currently serves as provincial assistant for vocations, as well as working in young adult ministry. He previously taught his systematic theology and philosophy as part of the faculty of the Jesuit Theological College and serves as a socius. Is that how I pronounce it? Indeed. Socius to the provincial of the Jesuits in Australia and worked in remote Aboriginal parish in the Kimberley. He offers spiritual direction and gives workshops on Ignatian prayer and, crucially for today, on the rules for discernment of spirits. Welcome, Father Robin. Thank you, Peter. Before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your podcast app and that way you won't miss an episode. Let's get right into it. Discerning the spirits is something that I came across first as a, a, a young Lutheran seminarian. They tried to take us on a Ignatian retreat or what they called an Ignatian retreat, um, but what I thought was a form of um, cruel and unusual punishment. And uh, therefore, I've had a bad idea, I've had a bad sense of it ever since. But I have to say that I sat through a workshop that Father Robin gave in, of all places, the middle of New Zealand, and it gave me a very new and, and lively appreciation for this topic. So I'm going to enjoy this conversation with Father Robin about what St. Ignatius brought to the question of how we figure our way through these difficult questions. So perhaps if we could start, Father, with who St. Ignatius was, and probably just a brief introduction because that's a long story in itself, and then why would we care about this particular rule, set of rules that he he's left us? St. Ignatius was a minor nobleman in the Basque country in Spain, St. Ignatius of Loyola, born 1491, died 1556, I think. He is known for as a master of the spiritual life, really. Not that he was always fully devoted to the spiritual life. He grew up Catholic, of course, um, being Spanish, but he uh, lived a, a bit of a wild life in his earlier life until he suffered a major injury in battle and had a long convalescence back in the family castle in Loyola. And there, having the only things he had to read were a life of the saints and a life of Christ. He wanted to read um, books of about knights and chivalry and doing great deeds, slaying dragons for women, things like that. But all he had was a life of the saints, a life of Christ. And in his reading of those, he enjoyed reading those as well as imagining his life of chivalry and doing great deeds and being a knight. But it's there that he began to notice. He says, my eyes were opened a little. Just a very simple line, but in fact, it led to the unfolding of this whole teaching, his own experience of, his teaching others about the discernment of spirits. Because what his eyes were open to was that these movements within his heart, the desire he had to do great deeds and to, he was very vain as he admits himself, and to attract the attention of uh, a particular woman, and his desire to do as St. Francis did or as St. Dominic did as he read the lives of the saints, that those desires, they felt the same at the time. But the first lot left him ultimately feeling dry when he stopped thinking about it. He, he didn't feel satisfied at all, whereas, the, at, at all, whereas the, the second lot, thinking about imitating the saints, he was enlivened by those, he felt energized, and that seemed to continue, that lingered. 
And rather than being just random movements within him, he realized there was a pattern to these. And he recognized that these ones which gave him an abiding sense of life and desire to follow the things of Christ were coming from God. And he began in to follow words, those. In other words, the good that he sensed in superficial things didn't last. But the good he sensed in, in things of more substance, you know, really lasted and he could sense that within himself. In, exactly. Yeah. Would you say that's an instinct or is it a what? Or are we because we're talking about spirits here? Yes. He, uh, when, when he, when he talks about discernment of spirits at the very beginning, he talks about three elements of one, one's being aware, being aware of these movements. That's the first thing. Um, and then understanding them, I suppose. So the, the understanding comes into being and he gives them guides for the sorts of signs of what's going on. One of which is where, where it, uh, where it leads. Um, and then doing something about it ultimately. Uh, instinct, I think, uh, well, you don't want me getting onto epistemology and philosophy of knowledge now. I think it's a fairly <laughs> ill-defined term, so uh, I'm not sure where to go with that. Yes, of course. <laughs> but he recognised he was aware of what was happening within him and he he understood to some extent that um, where, where, they were, where they were leading, what was where the abiding life was. Yeah. Right. Now, it- He's given us this, um, is it 14 rules um, for discernment of spirits? Yep. And they seem to be a guide for those very things that you talked about, a guide for actually figuring out whether these spirits, this this movement, and I, I like that word movement, the movement within me is towards something good and abiding or whether it's a, a fleeting or even a not, not good thing. Um, is that a fair comment that, that, that all of the rules are focused in that direction to help us to, to discern those properly and then act accordingly? Yes, to discern and to act accordingly. Most of them, are, in fact, are about the action side. Right. They're about what he calls spiritual desolation. He talks about spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation, because it's often that those desolations, when we, we feel as though we're separated from God, we're not feeling as excited about the spiritual life as we might have been. At, you know, at the feeling level, we don't have the, the uh, drive towards things of the Spirit as we once did. And that can trip us up sometimes, especially earlier in the spiritual life, but throughout to some extent, wondering what's going on. You know, have I done something wrong? Is, mm. there, is this a is normal that the experience? Paul thing where he says, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the good, you know, the good that I... That, I think that's, that's part of, of it. Although he, he, I think he's probably talking, he's talking about actually not doing the good that he wants to do. Um, right. I think with um, spiritual desolation, it is, it is a, a feeling, a movement of the soul. It's not yet at the level of any action that I'm taking. There's, there's no shame in spiritual desolation. Uh, it may involve, it can simply be at the level of feeling. I'm not feeling as though God is close to me. There's no yep. moral element to that yet. Um, right. It could involve a actual temptation to evil. That's one form of desolation. Uh, but it may just be a feeling level. Then what do I do about it? So uh, Ignatius um, offers guidelines saying we, we're not just we don't just need to be thrown around by these feelings or lose our footing as we so easily do because part of the enemy's tactic is to confuse us, to confuse our minds as well. You know, I'm, I'm in this state. What should I be? You know, something's gone wrong. What do I do? Suddenly yes. everything that seems so clear is now unclear. Uh, the direction I thought I had just, uh, you know, I start second-guessing myself um, and uh, all the clarity I felt I had in the spiritual life can suddenly go away. What do I do? Ignatius gives helpful rules for what do I do. There seems to be a common experience for young people in particular that they they get a burst of enthusiasm about some a particular direction and 
and then they oh well hang on now i don't feel that when i feel quite lost and and uh I'm, i mean i'm giving that to young people but perhaps we all feel it in in various ways i think we do we're perhaps as we get um go on in the spiritual life hopefully we're not as thrown by it once we have some experience of having gone through it a few times and i would say with the sort of the guidance that ignatius gives but certainly earlier in the spiritual life i go away on a a youth retreat, a youth weekend, uh, all fired up, hey, some great talks, some great prayer experiences, um, some masses where I can really uh, engage in a way I haven't before with mass. Um, and I make, a, you know, I make a commitment to follow through on some things there. A week or two later, it's worn off a bit. I'm on my own, not surrounded by people, and I'm not feeling the same desire to pray that I felt there. Um, you know, am I in sin? Have I done something wrong? Have I offended God in some way? Rather than realizing mm. that this is a normal part of the, the spiritual life, which all Christians feel that the saints felt, um, and not simply at the beginning of the journey, but throughout the journey, the enemy is constantly trying to trip us up. If I can um, relate this to a personal experience, I was, I was not always a Catholic. Uh, and in my early life, the evangelicals were quite black and white about a number of things and um one of them was that uh in this particular group not all evangelicals but this particular group suggested that uh, christians didn't want to sin it was something that was involuntary you know it just happened sometimes like they had a kind of weird um dualism going on that your body somehow sort of pushed you in a different direction but i had to be honest with myself and think well actually no i really wanted to do that <laughs> and, it, and it felt good and i know it's wrong and therefore i must not be christian yet and there was a real deep angst in that because i uh, i wanted to do to want the right thing but i could feel myself wanting the, the other and, and detecting in myself that that urge if you like there wasn't that clarity that you sense from the the ignatian exercises um in the discernment of spirits i th that sounds right in the example you give and and even independent of the discernment of spirits simply in catholic moral teaching that, you know, moral actions um, are about what the will chooses, not the temptation as such, you know. And if mm. temptation has any meaning, I, you know, we are tempted to things because at some level we do want them. Yes. The devil can't tempt us to things which we have no interest in at all, you know. I, I'm not tempted <laughs> to go and watch um, car rallies or something, you know, it's not a temptation for, for me. <laughs> I suppose if I, I was really desperate and there was no other uh, no other entertainment around perhaps i would be um i would rather watch paint dry on a wall than, exactly. than watch cars going around the circle i yes. think we share that particular indifference <laughs> um but the, is it true that most temptations i mean we're getting a little bit off track here but most temptations are to something that is good uh, and yet uh we're tempted to access it or try and achieve it with in a way that harms other goods or that, that that hurts us ourselves in getting there. So, for example, I might be attracted to uh, thoughts about a particular girl or something, but and that's a genuine attraction in me that's part of the good of marriage and relationship. But if it's disordered, then it, it leads away from that good, ironically, away from the very good I'm trying to achieve and, and undermines my good and the good of relationship. Exactly, yes. I think, I think it was Augustine, wasn't it, who said... Um sin is looking for the right thing but looking in the wrong places nobody wakes up in the morning and says what evil can i do today um they they're looking to, to for the best thing they think is available to them and um 
and uh, St. Ignatius seems to give us a tool or two, a toolkit, in fact, to help us to discern what's good for us and what's what's not so good in the terms of the movements of it. But interesting, you said just before that this isn't necessarily about sin, it's about the directions or the movements within us. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Well, he, he does deal directly with um, temptations, especially in the the last three of the rules, 12, 13, and 14. We might come back to those where he talks about the particular sorts of desolations, which are actually temptations. But I think it's really important to realize that um, a lot of spiritual desolation, well, I wouldn't know how to quantify it really, but spiritual desolation in itself does not necessarily involve temptation. If we look at the things, he, he doesn't define it as such, but he gives examples. So a feeling of darkness of soul or disturbance in the soul, a movement like an attraction to low and earthly things, Again, that might be at the level of temptation, um, a, a disquiet uh, feeling without hope, feeling without love. Now, we Catholics know, you know hope and love uh, and faith, they are ultimately not feelings. They're about decisions we make. So simply because I don't feel a sense of hope at the moment doesn't mean that I cannot make an act of hope and actually be hoping by an act of the will. Uh, so the desolations in themselves are at the level of feelings and are not even necessarily temptations, let alone acting on the temptations. Right. That's why I say there's no, there's no shame in desolation. We can feel that it's something wrong with it, that I shouldn't be feeling this in the Christian life. But it is a time, Ignatius says, where God has withdrawn his favours. He's not sending the desolations. They come from the bad spirit. Um, and we might look later at what he means by that. But but God doesn't send him, but God withdraws his favours for particular reasons, which he also goes into. And none of those reasons is necessarily about some sin that I've committed. I'm just thinking now in terms of a lot of the young people I've spoken to and talked to, that there seems to be a almost an increasing level of sort of um, despair and, and anxiety amongst young people. How much of this, I mean, you, you've had a lot of experience in helping people to understand this discernment of spirits. Do you, does this tend to help with that sort of thing? It does. It's important in the context you're talking about to, to recognise that Ignatius is talking about spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation. Right. The consolation and desolation themselves are, well, they're just you know, English words for uh, consolation, a uplifting feeling of the heart. There are, there are natural consolations we have in enjoying beauty, enjoying friendship, enjoying mm. good food. Tim uh, Some people enjoying car rallies or whatever. Um, <laughs> it could be natural consolations. Spiritual consolation, when he talks about it, is, is when I'm experiencing consolation in something that is directly pertaining to my spiritual life. Right. Uh, it is about a movement of faith, hope, and love. And the natural can be a springboard from which God grants us spiritual consolation as well. I can enjoy the beauty of a sunset without uh, directly coming into my faith life, but it can also and often is a moment where the Spirit can move within me to have a sense of the awe at God the Creator, of gratitude for this beauty, and there it becomes a spiritual consolation. So they're not disconnected, but they are separate realities. So is there a sense also in the sorry in the in the sense of the physical experience too that there's so the sensation, if you like, of eating a Tim Tam is a, is a nice thing, um, fairly short-lived, and in my case, bad because I'm allergic to chocolate. Um, 
something, for example, like uh, extended periods of pain can can seriously affect our our hope, if you like, our sometimes our joy. Uh, and they they faith. can, yeah. So it works mm. for the desolations as well. That there are natural desolations. If I'm feeling pain, I'm feeling pain. If I, um, you know, been working very hard um, and I feel tired, I can, you know, feel a bit down, feel lethargic. Um, they can be quite natural reactions, but the the enemy can get in there and lead to a uh, a spiritual desolation, a lessening of hope, a, a discouragement. You think of the um, uh, and that, but that's not necessarily the case, I suppose. You think of the, some of the martyrs, you know, as they're being martyred. You know, there's no doubt that at a physical level they're experiencing pain. Yes, of course they are so closely united to Christ, um, they are experiencing that union with Him there. So at a wow. spiritual level, they are being consoled. You know, you know, these wonderful stories of martyrs who are praying, encouraging, exhorting the people around them to draw closer to Christ, um, you know, turning their eyes in hope to to God. Um, so there's a whole lot of natural desolation happening there, and mm. uh, at the same time, so so they're not necessarily connected, but there can be an opening. Consolation, natural consolation, can be an opening to spiritual consolation, and natural psychological desolation can be an opening to spiritual desolation. That's why it's important to take, be careful of the basic human realities of our lives, which sometimes Catholics can ignore. You know, it's all about the spiritual level. Whereas we're always talking about grace building on nature, um, sometimes I'm vulnerable to spiritual desolation because I, you know, I just need to do some exercise. You know, I haven't. Or you're tired. Body, or I'm very tired. I just need to sleep. Or hungry, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, I think Saint Teresa of Avila didn't she say to one of the nuns who kept talking about how she uh, falls asleep in prayer all the time, and she said, "Well, maybe you're not sleeping enough." You know, that's, <laughs> it might be as simple as that. You know, it's not an aversion to prayer necessarily. It could be that. I don't know how relevant this is, Father, but there's a story of one of the the desert fathers who was, you know, they they found a, a monk who had fallen asleep in mass uh, in choir, and they dragged him out to the uh, the father desert father for his wisdom and said, "What would you do with a brother who fell asleep beside you in 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 mass?" And he said, "I'd put his." head in my lap and sing softly. Um. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? I love that, yes. Well, it's very consoling, that line of the psalm which says the Lord pours gifts on his beloved while they slumber. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've always, always wondered if I had a talent. From that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, perhaps if we could have a look, um, give us an example of a, a particular rule and how it might you know, apply in these circumstances. So if I'm... Give us, can you? We can't go through all fourteen in a show like this, but let, let's just take an example of one of the rules where it, and how it applies in our um, daily life. Yeah, I think the as I said earlier, nearly all the rules, interestingly, are about desolation. In some ways, consolation deals with itself. Um, you, know, you mentioned there are fourteen rules. In fact, Ignatius has a, a second set of rules for a further stage of the spiritual life, where the, the often the distinctions we need to make are between two goods rather than between you know temptation and choosing the good um, so they're more subtle I suppose but these 14 here um, are mainly about desolation and uh, one, I think one of the most important ones is after his introductory comments and where he talks what is desolation what is consolation is the fifth one uh, which is probably the strongest in some ways and it's it's the absolute ways in which he phrases it and he says that in time of spiritual desolation, never make a change. He goes on to 
say, change of some decision that I've made when in a previous consolation. So it's quite clear. I think it's something to hold on to and um, never make a change in time of spiritual desolation. So that example of a young person, they've been on a retreat weekend, they've had a great experience there, and they've made some some reasonable decision during that. I'm going to, um, to what? I'm going to try to read scripture for 10 minutes each day. Um, that's something that they found helpful during the retreat time, and they drew life from They had a sense as they're thinking about how to follow up that they'll do that. Um, and they do that for the first couple of weeks, and it's life-giving. They're enjoying it. They're exploring, so doing things for their spiritual life. And then you know, one evening, they get to the time when they normally do that, and um, they don't feel the same. And it could be connected to something. You know, maybe they had a difficult conversation with someone that didn't go well. They come mm. to that time, and they're not feeling like doing that. And you can and the enemy gets in there with thinking too. Well, look, you, you know, your relationships are important in the spiritual life. You've had this bad conversation with someone. Who are you to pick up God's word and think that you know that's going to help you? You're not even doing the basics. You know, all this. Ignatius talks about the false reasonings of the. You know, he takes some good points. You know, relationships are important in the spiritual life. Um, if we're have a major conflict with someone, we need to resolve it, not just spend the time reading the Bible or going to adoration. Um, but in this context, um, I've made this decision in a good space to give myself to Scripture. And it might be precisely through the reading of Scripture and opening myself to that that I'll come to some way forward in this relationship or whatever. Um, mm. But I'm not. I'm just feeling tepid about it. I'm feeling um, that the reasoning is going astray, this false reasoning, and I don't. I just don't feel like doing it the way that I have for the last two weeks. Uh, so Ignatius would say, well, pause there, see what's going on. Firstly, uh, uh, am I in spiritual desolation? Uh, and it would seem to be there's some disturbance of soul, they're not, not feeling settled within, there's not that peace. And am I being drawn to give up on something which I had committed to? And yes, Ignatius would say, well, the first thing is don't make that change. Don't do that. And that's in those ordinary day-to-day things, but obviously it applies as well in major life decisions. Mm. If I'm, you know, making a decision about, um, you know, a vocational decision, maybe I, you know, I am a priest or religious, and uh, you know, there've been some difficult times I've gone through, and I'm in this period of desolation, and the thought comes to me, you know, well, maybe I made the wrong decision, maybe I'm not in the right place, um, you know, marriage is much more attractive at this point, or whatever can continue over a period of time. So that is You used a you used a word there, um, the false logic of of the the tempter or the tester. That's an important one because quite often the things which discourage us and, and lead us, you know, that that they put us in that desolation are 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 actually false arguments. Like you mentioned a couple there, like you you're not maybe this isn't for me or or I'm not good enough or if I've particularly in the in um, Christian's case, the accuser has a go at us and says, "You're not good enough to be this. Who are you? You're a hypocrite. You know, you, what? Who are you to be doing this religious stuff? Exactly. Fat lot yeah. of good you are. Yeah. Uh, when in fact we've forgotten that. Well, hang on, that's not even logical because we're sinners, and that's part of what we believe. So, exactly. surprise, surprise, I, I sinned. Yeah, and I, that's where I take great consolation from that line of the Book of Revelation, isn't it? The accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. That's precisely mm. what. The, the enemy does. And I should say, when Ignatius talks about the bad spirit, he, he certainly believes in you know, personal bad spirits. He's a good 
Catholic lad. Um, <laughs> but he he would also include within that, you know, what traditionally we've called the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not just you know, not as though he sees in every movement within me the devil directly responsible for that. He'll also talk about the world, the forces around us in our culture, our society, uh, which in every culture and society are a range of good influences and bad, and the flesh, you know, the concupiscence and the the way in which my mm. previous decisions um, have affected my desires. Um, so it gives them all that term bad spirit or the enemy of human nature. Um, but certainly- Anything the, that draws us away from the good which God created us for. Exactly, yeah. And ultimately, all of those things stem from the bad spirit, you know, but not necessarily as immediate mm. cause. But um, uh, that point of, so when you're talking about those voices within, uh, you know, some of those are reinforced by stuff we picked up from childhood. We're much more aware of that in our um, time where you know, psychology has developed to our point of the effect of those voices we've picked up uh, from parents, from teachers, from you know, bad experiences, from being bullied and people, and that can just continue to resonate. You know, of course, you're no good. You failed at this before. Um, mm. those, those sort of thinkings and even to be addressed. Every yeah. every excellent parent still has a, a foible or a, 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 a perhaps a flaw in communication, and perhaps uh, if my father wasn't great at telling me I was good at things, you know, I'm vulnerable in that area to the to a particular kind of testing. And if you like, these exercises focus us on this and make us much more aware of them. And when things are brought into the light, they're much easier to deal with. Isn't that the point of the... That, that, is, that is right, yeah. I'll, I'll, actually, I might just come back to that in a moment, bring into light. That's another very important one of the rules. But just to... I, I wouldn't want to leave the fifth rule without the sixth. The fifth is that in time of desolation, spirits would never make a change. Because um, that can give the sense, you know, well, there's nothing we can do, just grit our teeth and bear it, um, you know, and go ahead with the decision. But the sixth rule is an important one to complement that, uh, and he reminds us of the fifth one immediately, although in desolation we shouldn't change the decisions we've made, but there are, in fact, things we can do to counter the desolation. Because part of the reasoning of the enemy is going to be, you know, I've got hold of you here, you're not going to get out of this, um, and he can tend to absolutize everything, you know, this desolation. Mm. It's been going it's for hopelessness. It's going for three minutes. It's going to go for the rest of your life, you know. <laughs> um, or it's been going for a week. It's going to, you know, you're never going to get back to consolation. It's hopeless. Um, it's and but he says no. We can the Latin phrase "adre contra." We can act against the desolation, and that itself, just knowing that, having that pointed out, you know, we can act. We're not feeling like acting against it, but we can engage our wills, and that that is helpful. And he talks about acting intensely against it. And he talks about a few particular areas. Prayer, I think particularly prayer of intercession. God, I'm in desolation. I'm struggling with this. I need your help particularly. I don't feel your presence with me, but I, I know you are. You know, so praying, asking the mm. intercession of the saints and Mary. Meditation, especially grasping onto those basic truths of the faith. Lord, you are with me, even though I don't feel it at the moment. Lord, you are loving me at this moment, though I don't feel that love. Um, Lord, you know, the saints, you are with me, interceding for me at this time. I'm not on my own, as the evil one wants me to believe. So you have someone like Mother Teresa um, and others like her who've experienced that long, dark night of the soul, where uh, even though she had uh, adoration, I think, quite a significant part of each day, did not feel in herself the presence of God for quite a significant, well, I think it was decades in her life, um, so it's worth emphasizing that discernment of the spirits there is not necessarily how happy she feels about 
God or whether she feels some sort of mysterious presence, there is a discernment involved that's that's not just about feelings. That's right. It's it's going back to the earlier point. It's about being aware of the feelings, and you know, and God does want to, you know, often bless us with consolation. I mean, the Mother Teresa obviously had a very particular mission. You know, that's I'm not aware of any other saint experience the dark night over such a long period. But you know, I'm not. I don't. I haven't researched that. Um, but it, she has certainly stood out in our time. Uh, you know, others have gone through significant periods of dark night interspersed with times of consolation. Um, but it's not just about the feelings, but um, the spiritual life's not just about the feelings. You, you don't have discernment of spirits, as Ignatius means, without something happening at the feeling level. Um, the question is, how do I understand that and how do I respond to it? I mean, and the basic, where he gives examples of consolation, it is about something um, at the level of feelings, as distinct from saying, that is the only way in which God's grace touches us, or even the most right, important yeah. way that God's grace touches us. Um, so the feelings are not to be equated with grace, but when we're talking about spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, there is something mm. happening at the level of feelings. Now, you mentioned the, the bringing things into the light. Shall we come back to that? Yeah, and that's where, where Ignatius is talking in the last three rules, more specifically about temptations and the thirteenth rule is he has a couple of images the, uh, in these rules. The thirteenth one is the image of the false lover trying to seduce um, a good woman. The, he says the daughter of a good father or the wife of a good husband. And of course, a seducer doesn't want their seductions made known. Well, he obviously wants them made known to the uh, to the woman, but not to, <laughs> to her the father seducing. or her husband or to <laughs> someone outside of that, um, because then he's foiled, you know, and. Ignatius uses that for an example of how the enemy wants to get us to keep things quiet. And part of it can be that sense of, I'm the only one experiencing this, you know. No one, especially earlier in the spiritual life, no one has ever experienced this. I should be joyful and happy and or waving my hand to shameful God. to experience this. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to get trapped in shame. And that's a whole another thing I'd like to research at some point, the connection uh, between original sin and, what, and shame and stuff. But... Um, but bringing it into the light, because he, he talks very uh, strongly about that, that the, the enemy will give up, you know, just knows he's defeated in this particular way if we bring it into the light, which may be um, bringing it to a compasser or to a spiritual director. Uh, he talks about someone who knows something about the movements of the spirits. Uh, we can't always, especially talking about these day-to-day -day movements of the spirits, um, and, and that won't always be necessary, you know, it depends how much of a hold it's got on us. But if, if it's something that is coming back and continues to have a hold on us, it can be good to bring it to the light. It might be a fellow Christian who uh, knows something about these rules, and at least knows the language of them, um, and can simply encourage us, say, you know, no, you are in spiritual desolation, and, you know, let's just remind each other of the things that we can do in these situations, and I can pray for you. Um, and you It sounds me. like something a good spiritual director would, would have a grip on. Yeah, I think especially I think spiritual director for the for the subtleties. Sometimes it's not too subtle, at least for an outside observer. You know, you don't need to be advanced. You know, but we can often struggle to see it ourselves because it is that false reasoning. Um, you know, you're just not good enough. Well, you know, God, Jesus says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." That can, improperly understood, lead into saying. You know, you're just hopeless, you're no good, you know, you're not perfect. Yeah. Jesus has got to be perfect. Clearly, you don't measure up, get out, son. Yeah. But as soon as you talk <laughs> to someone about it, um, so I, I mentioned that because, you know, it's not always 
easy to find a spiritual director or to have access to one. There are some things we can do within prayer groups, within Bible study groups, with, with a spouse, um, where some clarity can come just by having a chance to talk it out and get it out of my head, hidden, and bring it into the light. It's probably a good time then to visit the question of how do we get access to this kind of wisdom because my immediate response being who I am was to reach for a book and read read an entire book on it and then read about someone else's commentary on the book. But what I've found is that that's not always as helpful when you're dealing with this kind of thing. You need someone to guide you through it or you need someone to help you look at yourself, so to speak. Exactly. And that's Ignatian spiritual direction will be focused on prayer on the spiritual life, which if it's an authentic spiritual life will every part of one's life should be coming into it, and that's part of the journey is bringing those together. But it will be looking at the spiritual things, the different movements. Um, of, often retreat times, uh, uh, times you know, especially if it's a, a silent retreat or a, you know, a retreat with plenty of time for prayer, where one has a chance to speak to the retreat director or to share within groups about what's happening in one's spiritual life. So a retreat is just something you would recommend as a, as a regular part of Christian life? Oh, I'd be loath to recommend any particular that's I, I think um uh, yeah i think retreats which can take a whole range of forms you know appropriate to the person and what time they can give um the uh, a weekend retreat a one day retreat a day of recollection um, a series of evening you know parish missions used to be like that i think some parishes still have them where over lent you might have three or four evenings in a row different ways that you might might call retreat retreats even ignatius he allowed for um, doing the exercises in daily life where um, you commit to a time of prayer each day and seeing a director once a week. So effectively, one day of the silent retreat during the exercise becomes a week in daily life for people who can't get away right. for 30 days or whatever. Um, but they are helpful because they are a chance to, to, to stop, to spend some more time in prayer and to be attentive to what's happening within. We don't get to first base with this if we're not aware of the movements. Firstly, you made a good point there about time and how much time we've got available, but but making good use of that time is something that's interesting. I must admit that sitting in the classroom made me want, made me very excited about the idea of the the exercises, and I, I went looking for resources and read a lot of things. But it wasn't until I had a a good conversation with someone who had trained a little bit in the exercises that it actually brought it into. How do I pragmatically put this into an hour? I've got an hour today to do something. How do I put that into an hour? So maybe I'll put that question to you on behalf of the listener. Let's say I've got an hour in my day roughly, or maybe half an hour where I, could, I normally dedicate that to prayer. Uh, is this a practical part of that? Could, could this fit into my discernment and spiritual life? It could. Uh, but I think it probably would come in more at the level of reflecting on the prayer afterwards. Right. Ignatius is very keen, certainly when you're doing a retreat, um, of you would do your, you know, during the spiritual exercise, you used to do four or five one-hour prayer periods during the day, for which you'd be a bit of preparation. You don't just go in and start cold. You've, you've looked at the passage beforehand and considered what you're going to be doing. You have the hour of prayer, and then you spend maybe 10 or 15 minutes afterwards um, perhaps with a journal, reflecting on what was happening in that prayer. Because mm. even the you know very powerful movements of the Spirit, we can lose the nuances of them. Um, within a week or so, we might have even forgotten them, you know, as life gets busy again. But to notice it, and that would become what you would talk to your director about. Um, 
what were the movements there. So I'm applying these rules in the sense of, well, what, what was happening when I took this passage of scripture? How was I feeling? Um, how so if someone was in doing this over a week, would they would it help, for example, to keep a spiritual diary or, or something like that? Uh, very much, yeah. 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 Unless you've got a very good memory. But, <laughs> no, but, I can't remember partly, what I said five minutes ago. <laughs> partly for one's own benefit. Um, I mean, I, I wax and wane with my own faithfulness to the journaling side of reflection on prayer, but it is helpful in the sense of... Um, I, I get the sense for Ignatius, I, I can't remember if I've heard him quoted on this or what, but you know, if you had an hour to give to prayer and that's all you had, you didn't have time for reflection afterwards, then make it 55 minutes of prayer and five minutes of reflecting on what's happened sort of thing. Right. He saw the importance of that because that's where we start to get in touch with this language within us, which is going to be personal to each of us of this movement uh, and to for talking to a spiritual director about, but even coming back to Sometime later, you know, I look back over three months of my journal, oh, there has actually been this consistent movement of this thing that I'm drawn towards. I think it's mm. important to recognize, I was just reading something from Pope Francis um, earlier on about, about the, the positive, you know, it's not simply about giving the bad spirit the boot. That's certainly very important because that's where you get tripped up. Um, but he says, um, he makes the point, it's not just about life-changing decisions, discernment in that sense, we need it at all times, lest we fail to heed the promptings of his grace and disregard his invitation to grow. So it's not just being aware of where the enemy is coming in with desolations, but the consolations may be pointing to something. They might just be for that moment, God reinforcing his love for me, but I may begin to recognize a drawing towards some initiative or some movement or how to, yeah. you know, to give more time to well, it. The it makes sense that rather than just be scared about what might trip us up, but to actually look for the good thing, that absolutely makes sense. Keep your eyes open and, and be ready to take the opportunities that come. I, I think in terms of your question about the growth in the spiritual life, Ignatius's prayer, the examine prayer, uh, which is uh, you know, it's grounded in examination of conscience, but goes beyond that to not simply look at where have I failed in my conscience or have I sinned, but to look at these movements of the spirit. He would talk about doing that, you know, perhaps in the evenings for, for uh, you know, eight or ten or fifteen minutes. Um, so I think that's where these really come into play in reflecting on the prayer. So rather than being a prayer exercise in themselves, within that, in gratitude, looking at the day, what have been the movements that have been happening? How have I responded to them? Have I received gratefully the consolations? Have I resisted the desolations? And how can I grow in that tomorrow? Okay. Um, in term, we'll put that um, examine or or the version that you send us, Father, in the show notes. So if anyone's listening, you can catch up with the show notes. It's also probably worth us throwing in a few extra resources in the show notes to some possible um, books and uh, contacts, which uh, you've already sent to me, Father. Thank you very much. Probably it's a good place to wrap up the podcast, but before we sort of get to the wrap-up part, is there something that you would say to a young person who's thinking about this for the first time, some kind of uh, encouragement you could offer them in terms of this exercise, that it's, is it for them, is what they're asking? Is this really for me or is it just for really super spiritual people? Well, I've got at least, um, at least one example I know of a person who wasn't super spiritual, who has found that helpful, um, and that's myself. <laughs> uh, so is it um only for the saints no 
Ignatius began to notice these movements when he hadn't been leading a particularly good life. Right. Um, he had, um, you know, he talks about himself and vanity being a huge thing, obviously got into various brawls, uh, gambling, the basic life of a, a minor nobleman. At one point, just to tell the story where he had official permission to do what normally wasn't allowed, to carry a weapon in public and to have two companions with him at all times, obviously like bodyguards. Yep. Uh, he was get, he got permission for that over a period of a couple of years because there was some other man who obviously was out to do him great harm, perhaps even kill him. Right. Now, it's not clear what this man had against him, but we can imagine the sorts of things that might be that uh, <laughs> another young man wanting to kill or seriously injure. So that's the sort of life he was leading. He's on his bed. He's starting to show a bit of interest in the spiritual life because he's reading the lives of the saints, but that's going to be forced upon him for lack of anything else. And he's daydreaming about his normal life, thinking about the saints. So he's not starting from a very high base. Um, and that simple thing, his eyes were opened a little. But if we think about Timothy Gallagher and his books, Father Timothy Gallagher on these things says, you know what, just imagine what would happen if he hadn't attended that, his eyes being opened a little, even in the state he was in of his spiritual life at the time. You know, all that has flowed from that in what he's shared of his spiritual life, the foundation of the Jesuits, St. Francis Xavier going to all his missionary work, um, everything that has flown from that. And likewise, for any of us, wherever we are in the spiritual life, if we can start attending to those things with some understanding of what's happening there and recognize that these movements, you know, where God's wanting to lead us is towards peace and joy, um, and there might be a fair bit of hard work to do on, on the way uh, as we grow in those things. Uh, but, that's but a huge part of the God battle, Father, in that, even though it's hard work, most people aren't averse to, to working hard if they believe it's good enough for them. The, the, the hardest part is knowing where to start and, 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 and knowing what to do when you're actually involved in it. So that, this is, seems to be kind of a very valuable tool, especially for the young people starting out. Yeah, and I think the very you know, easiest thing, it's only a few pages, is to read through the rules themselves. Yeah. And then I, I mentioned Father Timothy Gallagher. I just put in a plug for him. I think in terms of learning more about this, he's got podcasts, which I think are in the notes as well as books if you like listening. But I mm -hmm. find him very helpful because as well as going into some detail about the actual text of the rules and realizing how precisely worded they are, he has a whole range of examples from ordinary people he's interviewed, he's given direction to, to through to saints of their experience of each of these rules. And I find that a very helpful way to learn more about them because they're fleshed out. Good. Yeah, we do tend to learn from stories and examples much more powerfully uh, than just simply rules. Um, although when you unpack them for me um, in that workshop, it was very helpful. Thank you. That's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au or drop us a line on any one of the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, and find all the links we mentioned in the show notes on our website. Um, be sure to review us on iTunes. Remember, this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, and we think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Now, before we go, Father, we normally give your guests an opportunity to shout out to somebody. Do you have anyone in mind? You do indeed. Um, well, I'm the vocations promoter, so the guys I'm in touch with who are inquiring about Jesuit life, I won't mention by name, obviously, but a uh, shout out to all of you if you happen to be listening. And uh, my shout out is for those to those people who had that period of desolation, particularly in the COVID 
uh, situation they're feeling a bit low and, and it's confusing not knowing what's going on inside oneself um, shout out to you and um, a little bit of hope hopefully in, the, in this topic uh, that uh, this might be a way to start to know yourself better and also to know God better that's it for now thank you for listening to this Catholic Life Music